Well, good afternoon and welcome again to Renaissance Church and happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, we're glad you're here. Um, I'm Rich. If you don't, my name is Rich. Um, in case uh, I haven't met you, I hope I'm one of the pastors here if I didn't, haven't had a chance to meet you yet. Um, we, it's 4th of July weekend, you know? That's kind of cool. So I, before we get started here with this series, which is a great series, I'll talk about it in a second, um, let me just uh, pray for us and just thank God for our time and, and especially for a free country that we can come and, and do what we do with all the freedom in the world. So let, let's pray for a moment. Lord God, thank you so much. We, we, Lord, we take for granted that we could just get in our cars or walk here this morning and walk up here and, and, and just not even thinking twice about it, um, not, you know, not realizing or maybe just not always being aware of the fact that there are millions and millions of people across this world who don't have that freedom. So we are just so grateful, and we want to just take a moment to thank you now for the country in which we live, for those men and women 230-plus years ago that, 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 flawed as they were, had the insight to, to be able to put together a country that we're still enjoying the benefits from. We continue to pray for our president and our Congress, frustrated at times with different things. Maybe we like it, maybe we don't like what they're doing. It doesn't really matter. We, we want to commit them to you and pray for you to continue to work through them, whether they always realize it or not. And uh, we just uh, commit that them and our country to you as well. We just pray, God, continue to ask you, please. God bless America. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Winning. Great title. But actually, actually, this is called almost last night, boy, I tell you, Murphy, Michael Murphy saved my life because I was going to call this, I've been calling this ever since we started doing it, I've been calling it pound sign winning. And I've been calling it, you know, number sign winning. And then I learned last night, it's hashtag winning. I just almost made a fool out of myself. So I'm really glad that I, that I got that. But seriously, winning, it really is just that. It, but it's winning the way that Jesus would want us to win. Because he, he goes right to the heart of the matter. And uh, he goes right into the attitudes. In, into the attitude. This is called the beatitude. This passage, real quick, a little background. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's called, it's a section called the Beatitudes. Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus' Uh, sermons. He, there are two or three that, the very significant sermons that he did. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. And the first part of that is called the Beatitudes, which is like there are eight, some people say nine, depending on how you count one of them. Uh, we're, we're doing it as eight, eight Beatitudes over this next eight weeks. And um, the, the word Beatitude, interesting, it came from a Latin term, Latin word Beatitudo. It came from, uh, that was part of the Latin Vulgate Bible. Uh, they had it divided up, like you see Bibles sometimes now with different headings on certain passages. The Latin Vulgate Bible way back did that, and they had this word beatitudo, which became the be- which means happiness. Beatitudes came out of that. It stuck with us for generations upon generations. That's how we got the term the beatitudes. Now, the beatitudes, um, it's traditionally translated into English as blessed or happy. Um, that doesn't always work well in English. What does happy mean? I mean, happy could mean, gee, I'm happy the Yankees won last night, or I'm happy somebody else got to be. It doesn't really carry with it the, you know, the gravitas of what you're trying to do here. So one, transla- one, one scholar put it this way, and I like this a lot. He translated this, the more literal translation into contemporary English would be, 
possessing an inward contentedness and joy that is not affected by circumstances. That kind of happy, that kind of, 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 of blessedness. And isn't it like Jesus to go right to the heart of the matter? He starts off with his first significant sermon talking about attitudes. And um, I had the privilege last week of speaking to Elevate, which is our, our middle school and high school service at 1015. And I shared this with them. that They, they kind of, every now and then, they start scraping the bottom of the barrel and they say, Rich, can you speak? We're really hard up for somebody. I'm always happy. Oh, heck yeah, I'm ready. Um, anyway, uh, I had the opportunity to share with them last week that, that I had this, you know, I've, over the years I've had different rabbis that I've been friends with. And one time a, a, a rabbi friend of mine and I were talking about the difference between our faiths. And I was talking about how we believe because of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. I even mentioned that to him at the time. This was years ago. Uh, we believe that, that the heart matters as much as the action. And, uh, and I gave him the example later on in the Sermon on the Mount, for instance. It's not in the Beatitudes. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, says uh, it is a sinful for a man to lust in his heart after a woman as it is to commit the act. And I, used that, I gave that as an example. And I said, so for instance, we, we think lust, for instance, it would, be, would be sinful. And I said, what do you think about that? And my rabbi friend says, eh, we don't really care about what you think or your lust. Just don't do it. And I said, I like that better, you know. But, uh, um, it's, uh, but truthfully, when you think about it, that does, I mean, it does make more sense. When, when you understand who Jesus is, where Jesus is concerned, not just about the action, but the heart. I mean, I mean that just, it just resonates, I think. So we, we get into this, this passage. It's one verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Let's just look at it. I've got three translations I want you to see. Uh, the first one's in the NIV, the New International Version. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Interesting use of that word, mourn. Bible that I, awful, I often use as well, the New Living Translation. But God blesses those who, I use the word again, mourn for they will be comforted. Not really a translation, but a paraphrase that I like a lot is the message. And he puts it this way, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Uh, that's a, again, that's a paraphrase. and It's very am, it's amplified, but I like the way that, that communicates to us. And, but you come away, and, and I looked at a lot of Bibles. I mean, don't get the wrong idea. I didn't have 20 Bibles lined up on my desk. I got 30 or 40 Bibles in here. And, um, and I looked at a lot of translations, and about 7 to 8 out of 10 all use that word mourn. I was trying to get away from it. But it all uses, they all use that word mourn. And, it, and it, uh, to be honest, it gave me some great angst. When we started planning this, I think back late May, early June, we were, as a team, kind of going through what we're going to do and and it became clear to me, we're dividing this up between myself and Clay and Treth, and um, it became clear to me not, not too long in there somewhere that I was going to be having this particular beatitude. And I've spoken on the beatitudes many times, but not necessarily one at a time, and I realized I was going to have to speak on mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So about a month ago, I, I was thinking, how am I going to communicate this? And I was thinking... Is, a, is about a month ago. Remember early June? I don't know if, it seems like a lifetime ago. Remember there was one foggy, very rainy 
chilly, I know, hard to believe, chilly, it was literally a month ago, I think around the 7th or 8th of, of, of June, and I was in deep, deep prayer, deep, deep prayer. And it was so foggy and it was so rainy that during my deep prayer time, I couldn't even see how far the ball was going off the tee. <laughs> what? You can't pray when you're playing golf? Come on. I've had some very intense prayers on the golf course many times. God doesn't always answer those prayers. But anyway, um, so Billy Graham always says, God answers prayer except on the golf course. <laughs> um, but no kidding, I, 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 I had a, sort of an epiphany. I, re- I, th- I remembered about a year and a half ago um, in the wintertime here at Renaissance, a rainy, fog- literally it was a rainy, foggy Sunday morning. I don't know if you've ever been around here on a Sunday morning, on a rainy, foggy Sunday morning, but... Oftentimes what happens, particularly if the patio's not up like it wasn't at that particular time downstairs at Winberry's, is that uh, the women and the children, basically, kind of get underneath the, the awning of the Winberry's or down the stairway at the, at the entrance, and, and, and their husbands, chivalrous and brave as they are, go get the cars and drive them around, and the ladies get the kids and just, you know, scoot into the cars, and it's just really a cool thing to see. This particular Sunday morning, it was rainy and foggy and freaking chilly, Okay? And um, all the ladies all were lined up there, and then one guy comes over with his daughter, and he's standing there underneath the awning. I'm not going to let that pass. And I said, hey, how you doing? Hey, good. How you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm I've known him. I, mean, I don't know him well, but I've seen him around here for a while. And I said, so what are you doing? He said, well, I'm waiting for my wife to bring the car around. I can't tell you exactly what I said, but... I was like, I said something along the, I said, are you freaking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Your wife's coming around to pick you up so you won't get wet. Are, that is, are you, what, you call yourself a man? You know, I just kind of went off. And then he, he just didn't say anything. And then he said, I, I hesitated. He said, I'm blind. I mourned. I mourned. I, re- I, I mean, mourn means deeply regret and to be extremely sorry. I, oh, oh, I, I was like, oh, take me now, Jesus, please. I hesitated and we talked and they were here in the last service. They're still here. They're still coming here. And, uh, and I, had, I got their permission if I could use that story and he just he just kind of chuckles. He's one of those guys that he, he handles it real well, and he often wears sunglasses most of the time. But, you know, a lot of people wear sunglasses inside. So anyway, it's just one of those things. That is how, that's mourning, regretting, deeply sorrow for what you've done. Now, in a much, much greater way. That's what Jesus is getting at when he, when he talks about, you know, to mourn, to show deep regret, great sorrow. It is mourning, it is mourning the fact that I regret that I live and I have and am in this broken condition, in this broken world. And, and, and Jesus is saying, you mourn that. Blessed are those, they will be comforted, those who understand and mourn the fact that I, I'm in a broken condition. I'm, I'm screwed up. I was, I, I was wanted to think of a good summary statement to bring that together, and I, I went to my go-to guy. Did you ever have a mentor that you never met, but you just read everything he wrote? Martin Lloyd-Jones is like that to me. 
God turned on to him in the late 60s, early 70s, and uh, particularly when I went back to study for the ministry. And uh, I, the first, I tell you, one of the most impactful books of my life is a book called The Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And um, I have it on here, actually. Uh, it's just an amazing, amazing book, and it's just The Sermon on the Mount. And, and I remember that, that, that book just impacted my life so greatly because one of the first things I remember reading in that book was the Christian life is not a matter of doing. It's a matter of being. Simple, but that just grabbed my heart and my brain. I'm like, wow, that is really heavy. That is really true. Well, he talks about this morning, and I, I thought, it, let me just it's, just, a, it's just a few lines. Let me just kind of just follow along with a minute, because just kind of, he says it, I think it's better than I can in my own words. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones. As I confront God and his holiness and contemplate the life that I am meant to live, I see myself, my utter helplessness and hopelessness, I discover my quality of spirit, and immediately that makes me mourn. I must mourn about the fact that I'm like that. For it is when a man sees himself in this unutterable hopelessness that the Holy Spirit reveals unto him the Lord Jesus Christ as his perfect satisfaction. Through the Spirit, he sees that Christ has died for his sins and is standing as his advocate in the presence of of Almighty God. He sees in Him the perfect provision that God has made and immediately He is comforted. There is great blessing in mourning, in realizing, in grieving that I'm in a woefully broken, sinful condition and all the negative effects that it has on people around me and people that I love. The good news is there is great relief when we realize that and trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. I want to kind of elucidate a bit on that the whole concept of mourning and being comforted. And I want to give you three statements that are going to be overlapping in some ways, but I want you to see them because I, I think it, makes, it just makes a great uh, understanding of what, what Jesus is getting at here. The first one is this. We are, we are blessed when we mourn or realize that we're broken. Not always easy for people. We're blessed when we, when we, when we mourn and realize that we are broken. Yes, we live in a broken world. It's easy for us to say that. It's easy for us to realize that. It's easy for me to be driving down I-78 and some guy doesn't like what I might pass in any, you know, flips you the bird or whatever he wants to do, which just happened to me just the other day. I just went, hi. Yeah. Probably made him more mad, which is what I was trying to do in all honesty. But um, well, we live in a broken world. And I'm broken. Just start there. Another one of my literary heroes, G.K. Chesterton. Um, you never read anything by him. It's kind of hard to get through, but it's worth it. And I lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He was a dramatist. He wrote plays. He wrote stories. Wrote some theological stuff as well, very much a, 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 just a, a sort of a, not to coin a phrase, not to be trite, but sort of a Renaissance man, and, um, which is what I've always wanted to be, so I just became pastor. Anyway, um, no, I'm kidding. London Times, 1908, sent out an inquiry to all the famous authors. 
asking this question, what's wrong with the world today? I mean, Dickens, all the great authors of that time, they wrote this, they sent this out. What's wrong with the world today? Send us your, send us your treatise uh, about that. I want to show you what G.K. Chesterton wrote back. Truth. Watch this. Dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. That's all he wrote. Isn't that great? There's a guy that understood brokenness. What's wrong with the world today? Me. You mean, and people like me? Well, of course. But that's, that's, that's where it begins. I have to recognize that. You know, when you become, when you become aware of your, you know, when you don't become, let me, let me put it this way, when you're not aware of your own brokenness, it's easy to get bitter because you're a victim. You're always a victim. It's always everybody else's fault. When, you, when you're not aware of your own brokenness, it's easy to, it's easy to be a fault finder. Ah, that person, that person did that. When you're not aware of your own brokenness, it's easy to get arrogant. Ah, I can't believe those jackwagons did that. Can you believe that? My gosh. It's always somebody else's fault. I remember. I started to give you the year, but I can't remember the year. Um, I was, my first church, I had been a pastor for less than a year. I was 28 years old. Believe that? been a pastor for 35 plus years. I started when I was 12. And anyway, um, I, I, I was my, as the first church in the suburbs of Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, a lady said to me, uh, can I talk to you? And, 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 and over the years, just let me just fill you in the, in, in the blanks. Over the years, I've, I've had the great honor and privilege of being able to help people, relationship issues, couples, individuals, uh, with different things, in, in pastoral-type counseling. I'm not a therapist, and I always make that clear. You may need therapy. And if you need therapy, I'm not the guy in terms of where you have to get into prescriptions, things. I believe in all that. I'm just not qualified to, to, to make that judgment. And so I always make that very clear. So this, this, you know, a lot of times people, couples just need somebody sometimes just to kind of navigate some of the communication issues and, and, and some of the other, you know, dysfunctional things. Just somebody to say, hey, here's this, and here's this, and here's this. And Charlene and I have been married for 43 years. And it, it, it's not impossible, but it would be very difficult to approach a situation we haven't had to deal with over the years either personally or with family or, 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 or close friends. So anyway, this lady comes to me, and she starts to, I need to talk to you, Pastor Rich. And, of course, I, at that time, I'm not used to being called Pastor Rich. I'm like, oh, okay, sure, I'll be happy to talk to you. And she comes in to my office the next day, and she just sort of unloads on me uh, a pretty dysfunctional situation. And I hear about all situ- with her husband and, you know, what a dirt ball he was and, and, and you know, all this and all that. And I, my hair is on fire. I am like, let me, turn me loose on this guy. For, for one, of the, one of those times in my life when better judgment uh, rules, I, I said, maybe I should talk to him too before I just go for blood, you know. And um, so I said, well, can I come and talk? So he came by and he talked to me. After an hour listening to him, I'm like, what a, this, she is, man. I'm the other side of it. Now, fortunately, well, that was a good, good ending to this story because uh, we were able to get the three of us together and just sort of talk through things. And mostly it was just communication issues and, you know, some other, you know, somebody, you know, name-calling, some other stuff that just there, had, there was no place for. And, and, and we were able to get through all of that. But I, here's the, when, when you get into relationship issues, whether you're talking about husbands and wives or friends or work, anywhere, it's so easy to start just blaming that other, blame the other person, blame the other person. 
And the first place we need to start is, what part of this do I need to own? And, and often your first response is going to be, none of it. None of it. Dirt ball. Um, but then you start praying and say, God, help me. You take a little walk and get a little way and say, okay, I've got to own some of this. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's the issue here. We have to start. We are blessed when we mourn the fact, I am broken. Yes, I live in a broken world, but I'm broken. We need to mourn that fact. Second statement that I hope will, will make this mourning, comforting thing more, more clear to you. Yeah, the first thing is we are broken. The second thing, just one tiny little step further. We're blessed when we mourn or realize that my nature is to be selfish. And just stop right there for my God. Some of you are thinking, I'm not selfish. Yes, you are. And, and sometimes it's hard to realize that, that our tendency, our nature, um, our default mode, default mode, good, good phrase, we all know what that means now. Our default mode is self-centeredness. That's where we automatically go. The only exception to that really is, is a mom with her children. I won't even say fathers. Um, but we become clueless. We become unabashedly selfish. Everyone around us knows it sometimes except us. That is not a good place. That is not a good place. Everything goes through that filter of if it, how, how does it affect me? If it doesn't affect me, I don't care. Well, that's pretty selfish, isn't it? Before long, you stay on that path. One lives in a bubble, literally. Totally unaware of others. Completely self-dominated. And they blame everybody else. Not my fault. Totally unable to move forward. They get stuck. There's no growth. There's no personal growth. There's no spiritual growth because it's all about me. We call that being a, a narcissist. Somebody asked me the other day. They said, uh, have you ever been a narcissist? I said, oh, yeah. I still have visits to nar- narcissist town every so often. Yeah, we all do. And if you don't know that, then you've got a problem with telling yourself the truth. All right? So take your pick. Um, we are blessed when we mourn realize that our, that our nature is to be self-centered. Last fall, I had an amazing experience. We have a lot of people. I mean, we have a lot of people in the program. Uh, the program being AA or, or NA, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, there's, uh, Gamblers Anonymous. We have a lot of folks in our church and have for, for years in that program. And, um, and I keep learning more and more about it, just, uh, you know, sort of in a secondhand, secondhand. I wanted to know more for, for everybody else's sake and for my own sake. Um, you know, at that particular time, uh, do, I, do I drink too much or no? What is the deal? I'm trying to figure out all this stuff, and I'm on medicines, med, uh, meds now that I can't drink at all, so I, God took care of that, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, um, and, and anyway, I wanted to find out more about this program, so I asked a good friend. One of my, I got several good friends in the program here uh, about that thing. I said, I, I want to go. Can I go? We go to a meeting. And my friend said, you, you, you gotta, you, it's got to be an open meeting, not a closed meeting. I, well, I don't know what that means. I said, fine. And then, and then he said, um, um, 
We need to go somewhere else. The side, the side part of the story, this isn't the story. This is the side part of the story. This is just kind of funny. He said, we need to go somewhere else. I said, well, I don't. He said, why? I said, why? He said, well, because, somebody, you know, if we go around here and somebody sees you walk into an AA meeting, you know, who knows what they want. I said, I don't care. I, don't, I really don't care. I don't, I don't. I don't care. And then uh, he said, well, let's go. So we, I don't know. We went, I, God knows where, so three or four towns over. I don't know where we went. That direction. I was riding with him. Well, somewhere past... South Orange or, or East Orange or Maplewood or, or North Caldwell. I don't know. That direction, all right? The funny part about that, this is the side part of the story, is he, he was doing that to protect my anonymity. We walked in. Within 30 seconds, some guy I know from my club says, Hey, Rich, how you doing? You know? <laughs> Whoops, there goes that problem. You know, I, I didn't care. He kind of went, oh, I'm sorry. I said, I don't care. But here's what I loved about this meeting. Besides the fact that they, you know, I don't know if you know, they close each one of those meetings holding hands, reciting the Lord's Prayer. You believe that? I just, that's so great. Anyway, but here's the other thing I loved about this meeting. Before anybody opens their mouth about anything, before anybody does anything, before anybody says anything, it is, hey, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an addict, or I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a whatever, I'm, I'm some kind of an addict. Before you say anything. I love that. Everybody has, it's all equal ground. And I've thought, then, and I've thought about it many times, is wouldn't it be great when people come to church, and maybe I could start it down on the sidewalk when I'm doing my thing down there, and, you know, shaking hands and kissing babes, babies and, 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 and stuff. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if, if I just start that thing off every, how would, how would if, you're, if you're a guest, how would you, if I just start, hi, my name is Rich. I'm a self-centered, scum-sucking dirt ball. What's your name? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I don't know how they would respond. They might go, okay, we're out of here, you know, okay. Um, but seriously, think about that for a moment. Wouldn't it be great if we just all started just on the same place? Because we are. And we just said, hey, my name's Rich. And I have a tendency to be really selfish. Let's just get it out of the way. I know you are. You may not know you are, but I know you are. I've already told you I am. So let's just start there. We are blessed when we mourn, grieve, regret that our nature is to be selfish. Let me get to the good stuff. Third third point that I hope will clarify this. We are blessed when we no longer mourn, but we realize the relief that comes. When we reach the end of our self-justification and self-rationalization and just cast our souls solely at the foot of the cross on the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. That's comfort. Because Jesus said, I'll take your selfishness, your self-domination, you're wanting, to, you're wanting to blame everybody. I'll take that and forgive you for it because that's why I came. That's comfort. That's relief. That's what this is all about. I don't have to pray in a certain way. I don't have to say this way or that way. I just come to Christ and say, Lord, here I am. And all my junk, all my garbage, all my mistakes all my future mistakes. I'm just going to dump it at your feet, the grace 
and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I need that. Desperately. I am I'm in bad shape without that. I'm, I'm, I'm really messed up without that forgiveness. Let me just show you one passage. I think summarizes it very nicely for us. It's in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And now Jesus, excuse me, and now just, we'll get to Jesus. Now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Watch this. Let your roots grow down. Some Bibles say grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with whininess, griping, complaining. No, the opposite, thankfulness. You overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spirit, spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. Watch this. For he forgave all our sins. Just copy and paste that on your screensaver. You want to have a good day. He forgave all our sins. I won't get into it. One of the Reformation deals. Did God forgive all of our sins when we come to the faith? Or did he come to just forgive all of our sins up until then? Or did he forgive all of our sins from, the, from that time until, you know, all future sins and past sins? Let me ask you a question. How many of your sins were future when Jesus died for you? All of them. He forgave you and me for all of our sins. And when I go to Christ now, thank God I don't have to ask for forgiveness. That's already provided. I still do when I'm crying out out of desperate, please forgive. I know he forgives me. He's made that clear. The Bible says we confess our sins. We agree with God. I've sinned, Lord. I'm, I, I'm so sorry. I mourn the fact that I've sinned. But I thank you for your forgiveness. That's great comfort. That's great comfort, folks. We're blessed. Sure, when we mourn our broken condition. We're blessed when we mourn the fact that, that, that my tendency is to be selfish but we are blessed and we are comforted. And we no longer mourn when we realize our relief, our hope comes. We come before Jesus, casting our lives at the foot of the cross and saying, God, I I need your forgiveness now and forevermore. And he provides it. He's there. He says, come on in. Come on. Every time, every time, that's comfort. And you know what? I don't know where you are in this whole thing. You can do that right now. Right there. Right there where you're sitting. Just think about it. Lord, you have to say it out loud. don't have to move your, move your lips. Just, Lord, he knows your thoughts. I, I want to trust you. I, I believe you came and you died and you suffered on the cross and rose again. And you did that for me and my, all my stuff. And I want to trust you. Sometimes people come to me and say, I'm not sure if I prayed that. Is it okay if I pray that again? I said, it's fine to pray that again. Jesus is okay with that. You can do that. I, 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 never, I never want to miss that. You can 
Right there where you are, just casting your soul at the foot of the cross. Two examples, very briefly, two, two, two examples from, from history uh, that I want to show you of people who did this very, who understood this mourning and this comforting. I want to show you two people. One of them, it's Fourth of July weekend. You got to give me, a, you got to give me a little, a little grace on this. I got, I got to do a founding father, okay? And, and this is a founding father who really understood that. And you read a lot of stuff about some of our founding fathers. Some of it is revisionism. Some of it is true. Um, what I did, I just, I just got a copy of George Washington's prayer journal. You can find out a lot about a guy by listening to him pray, or, or if he writes his prayers down. This is from George Washington's prayer journal, and this blows me away. Watch this. I humbly beseech thee to be merciful to me in the free pardon of my sins for the sake of, my, of thy dear Son, my only Savior, Jesus Christ, who came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Be pleased to renew my nature and write thy laws upon my heart and help me to live righteously, soberly, and godly in this evil world. General Washington continues, Make me humble, meek, patient, and contented, and work in me the grace of thy Holy Spirit. That's a prayer. That's a prayer. You just take that prayer and just pray it. That's amazing. He understood, I'm broken. I'm selfish. I need a Savior. And that's Jesus. The Apostle Paul from the Bible basically wrote half the New, at least half the New Testament when you start figuring out how to do it. Amazing what he says in 1 Timothy. I've often wondered about this. First Timothy chapter, um, chapter 1. Watch, watch this. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Watch this next line. Of whom I am chief, the worst. I sometimes talk. I, it's crazy. I know I talk to the Bible sometimes. I'll read something. I'll say, what are you talking about? Many times I've said, who made you the worst? I think I got you. I think I got you, Paul. <laughs> I know other guys who say, who made it? Here's the thing. You say, why? And, and, and keep reading. I want to just read the rest of that. For this very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, you know, the worst of sinners, <laughs> but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. Unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Why would the apostle Paul, late in his life, 1 Timothy, gosh, he's like 80, 90 years old, very close to the end of his life. Why would he say, I'm the worst of sinners? I think I can speak with some authority on this. One of the values of age is you begin to understand more and more that it's not just about doing, 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 and not doing, not doing, not doing. It's the heart. And you realize when you, when you, look, when you look at a righteous, holy God, how much I don't measure up.
because I'm just a broken mess. And I have to cling to the grace of Jesus. Paul understood that. It wasn't just what he was doing or not doing. It was the heart. Blessed are those who, who, who mourn, who realize, deeply regret their broken, sinful condition. For their relief, their comfort, will be in the reliance upon Jesus and his grace. That will bring blessing. That will bring about the kind of blessing that the one writer put down as possessing an inward contentedness and joy that is not affected by circumstances. May God, the Holy Spirit, build that into our lives. We pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, the words are clear. We will be blessed. We will be comforted as we realize our condition and cast ourselves at your mercy and grace. Thank you for that. And thank you for Jesus who loves us in spite of ourselves. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for spending part of your um, 4th of July weekend with us. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day, and God bless America.